On October 28, 2015, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation hosted a seminar with Dr. Jin Park, a global fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. The seminar was titled Korea's Growing Role in Asia, Regional Cooperation and National Unification. The discussion was moderated by Arne Westat, ST Lee Professor of U.S.-Asia Relations at Harvard University. For more information, please visit ash.harvard.edu. We are here, um, uh, Dr. Park is here uh, to present uh, his views on Korea's role, particularly in a regional East Asian setting. Let me just introduce myself briefly. First, I'm on West I'm the Harvard University ST Lee Professor of US-Asian Relations, and I work here at the Ash Center. Um, Dr. Park is presented, I think, in the uh, overview of today's event as a fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center, which he indeed is, but that's not his main claim to fame, as those of you, particularly those of you who have a Korean background here will know. He has a long and illustrious background in, in Korean politics and, and public uh, affairs. Uh, he served in the Korean National Assembly for 11 years, uh, up to 2012, um, and while he was there, he chaired the Foreign Affairs Trade and Unification Committee. And prior to that, he also had a number of very important public positions in South Korea, um, including the Political Affairs Secretary to the President from 1996 to 1998, and Press Secretary to the President, I think before that, right? Yeah. Um, he is um, someone with a long connection to the Harvard Kennedy School. He got his um, MPA uh, from here. Uh, he also got an LLM from the New York University School of Law in, um, in 2000. And now he is returning in many ways to what he himself has been part of through history. He is, uh, while he's in Washington, he is uh, writing an uh, updated version of work that he has done previously on um, the foreign relations of Korea during uh, the South Korean President Park Chung-hee's uh, time in, in power. So it is a great pleasure uh, to have you here, Dr. Park. I hope your Amtrak experiences have not put you off talking to us this afternoon, and we are very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, first of all, uh, it is my great honor and pleasure to be here. And I must apologize for being late uh, on an Amtrak train, about half an hour uh, delayed. Um, so I was very worried that uh, many of you might have already gone to somewhere else, uh, but thank you for being here uh, and uh, bear with me. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to meet with all of you, especially uh, Professor Arnie Westad, who, uh, whom I see for the first time today. And thank you for arranging this uh, uh, important gathering. And also Korean uh, Consul General, uh, Ambassador Om Sung Jun for being here, and all of you. Um, I'm very glad to meet with you. Um, this is my homecoming in 30 years of time after I graduate from the Kennedy School. Uh, I was very young then. Um, in 1985, with a two-year MPA, um, and already that's 30 years ago, three decades. Uh, and this is my first homecoming after three decades, so I'm, I'm very excited uh, and very delighted. At that time, when I was only, uh, I think I was 26, uh, my classmate was someone called Mr. Pan Gimun. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, st we started for two years, and I never imagined that he could become a Secretary General of the United Nations. Uh, if I knew that, I would have been much better to him. <laughs> uh, but uh, and somehow, we made up a study group in the morning session. Uh, Two of us from Korea, myself and Mr. Ban, and two from the United States. Uh, so four of us met uh, every morning, like 7.30, uh, in the ARCO forum, and prepared for the class. And I took um, microeconomics by Edith Stockey, the senior professor, um, and also took some courses at the Fletcher School. Uh, I guess I took four courses from Fletcher School out of my 16 
courses. So I'm a, I'm a quarter uh, graduate of the <laughs> Fletcher School as well. So if anybody from the Fletcher School, I'm very glad to meet with you. Or else I took two courses at MIT as well. So anybody from MIT, we are you know, partial alumni. Uh, since I'm very late, I'd like to go very fast on uh, Korea's growing role in Asia, the relationship with Japan, China, Russia, and of course, uh, alliance between uh, Korea and the United States. Um, I'm looking at it from two uh, perspectives, one from a regional cooperation and the other from the national unification issue. Um, <clears throat> I think this is a particularly important year for the United States in terms of US-Asia uh, relations. And President Obama met with Prime Minister Abe uh, in April in Washington. President Xi Jinping of China made a visit, state visit, to Washington early this month. President Park Geun-hye also visited Washington this month, and also she had a summit meeting with President Barack Obama to discuss bilateral issues and also North Korea as well. So this is a very busy year for the U.S. government uh, in terms of uh, engagement with the Asian affairs, uh, along the line of the rebalance to Asia policy of the Obama administration. Um, the active U.S. policy, I think, is very timely and encouraging from Korean viewpoint because of the changing strategic balance in Asia in accordance with the rise of China uh, and also geopolitical issues, geopolitical competition and conflicts in the region, including territorial disputes in the East China Sea and South China Sea. The historical conflicts between Japan, China and Japan on the one hand and Korea and Japan on the other regarding the interpretation of the past history still continue even today. So the growing geostrategic competition as well as the underlying historical conflicts are constraining factors for the regional cooperation in Northeast Asia. So, South Korean President Park Geun-hye uh, described these problems as an Asian paradox that the more interdependence you have on the economic side, perhaps the more competition and conflicts you might have on the political and military side. Some says it's a contradiction, some says it's a matter of uh, taken for granted. Uh, but whichever uh, perspective you hold, certainly this is our task, important task for all the nations in this region, in especially Northeast Asia, to promote peace and cooperation and to prevent any escalation of tension or the crisis uh, in this region. So Park government has initiated the Northeast Asian Peace and Cooperation Initiative, Dongbuga Pyeongha Hyomnyeok Gusang, exactly to solve this problem. Another uh, strategic concern in Northeast Asia uh, is the Korean Peninsula, of course. Uh, North Korea still remains unpredictable, sometimes irrational um, and dangerous. North Korea's nuclear proliferation and missile development continue despite international sanctions and the economic malfunctioning of the Kim Jong-un regime. President Park's trust-building process, Hanbando Shilwe process, on the Korean Peninsula aims to improve the inter-Korean relationship and introduce a favorable environment through humanitarian and economic cooperation to move towards eventual Korean unification. So today's topic is the growing role of Korea in Asia. And I'll start with the political democracy. South Korea is a leading democracy, a leading Republican democracy like the United States and a dynamic free market in Asia. Korea is a full democracy. Yeah, according to the British uh, Research uh, Institute, the Economic Intelligence Unit, um, there are five categories to define a country as a full democracy. One is electoral process, and two is government function, functioning of government. The third one is political participation, 
and political culture, and finally civil rights. Uh, in every one of these five components of the political spectrum, South Korea is designated as a full democracy. There are about 25 countries in the world which uh, belong to these full democracies. In Asia uh, is Korea and Japan. And Japan is, of course, the constitutional monarchy. Korea is a republican democracy. At the same time, an economic area, Korea is becoming a hub nation. Hub, I mean the central uh, nation in Asia. For free trade network, South Korea has FTA, free trade agreement, with US, Europe, and China, the three largest uh, markets uh, in the world. Uh, also, the country has FTA with ASEAN, 10 Southeast Asian countries, and India, too. Uh, they call it Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement. And as a former chairman of the Foreign Affairs and Trade and Unification Committee, mm, I was personally involved in the free trade agreement with United States, Europe, uh, ASEAN, and India. We also have um, free trade with Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and in Latin America, Chile and Peru. Uh, Korea is not yet a member of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, which was agreed in Atlanta recently among the 12 countries, including four uh, Southeast Asian countries. At the time, in the previous government, Im Myung-bak government, uh, South Korea was focusing on the negotiations with China. When Korea was offered to join this TPP, the Korean side said, well, maybe we can um, wind up our negotiations with China and perhaps we can join the TPP later. So that's exactly what is happening now. Korean government has expressed its willingness to join the TPP at some point in the future, although it might take some time because you need some individual negotiations with the member countries, and also these countries have to ratify this agreement in their own national parliament. So it might take some time. And the third role that I can uh, explain is that Korea is becoming a facilitator for regional cooperation. We are right in between China and Japan. There is no escape for Korea from the geographical or geopolitical uh, situation. So our role, Korea's role, is to promote dialogue, peaceful coexistence, and preventive diplomacy. Uh, initiating, for example, a resumption of the three-way summit meeting, triangular summit meeting between Korea, China, and Japan, which is going to happen, I think, on the 1st of November or 2nd, of, maybe 1st of November, that is uh, next month, in, in Seoul. The three countries uh, in Northeast Asia, Korea, China, Japan, take up about 20% of the global GDPs. And similarly, about 20% of the uh, volumes of global trade. So this is quite sizable um, group. And we certainly uh, expect that we can create some sort of a community, uh, economic community, and maybe uh, cultural and the political community in Northeast Asia. If uh, Germany, Britain, France, after two bloody wars in uh, Europe, could sit down and begin to talk about community building in 1940s and 50s, why not uh, Korea, China, and Japan? And then Korea certainly wants to initiate uh, this community building in Northeast Asia through dialogue, uh, through conference, through summit diplomacy, through exchange of people-to-people -people, uh, level. Korea is a growing middle power. Uh, Korea is not a strong power. We are not a great power. We are not a small power as well. Uh, somewhere in between, the, the, we call it the middle power. So the most appropriate role for Korea is to coordinate the different interests of the countries who are our neighbors, China, Japan, Russia, based on our 
alliance with the United States, strong bond uh, of friendship and commitment between the two countries to maintain Korea-U.S. alliance. But at the same time, Korea wants to expand the agenda uh, beyond our immediate security issues like Kore Korean peace and security, but also the issues like energy security, nuclear safety, or cyberspace cooperation, uh, environmental uh, protection, and disaster relief as well. So I think that uh, as a whole, Korea's role in Asia has been growing, is growing, and will grow in the future because it comes from our geopolitical position uh, in Northeast Asia as the center of the competing balance of power and a different interest involved. For South Korea to play its role in Asia effectively, as I mentioned, Korea-U.S. alliance is very important. This alliance, Korea-U.S. alliance, has strived to operate successfully for more than six decades after the Korean War. And the role of Korea in maintaining peace and security on the Korean Peninsula is to support the mechanism of strong Korea-U.S. alliance. In the military terms is Combined Forces Command. Political terms is partnership, not just the regional, but the global partnership. And people-to-people <coughs> -people exchange between Korea and the United States. Many Korean students are studying in United States, Boston. Many American students are also studying in Korea, too. And dealing with North Korea is a common uh, task of Korea and the United States. How to denuclearize North Korea, how to persuade this Pyongyang regime to make a right choice for their future instead of going down the dangerous course of action. Um, that's a challenging task for two allies. We, we want North Korea to open up, gradually open up, and participate in the regional discussion, the regional dialogue for community building and reform. And you don't have to call it reform. And I know North Korea is very uh, um, averse to the expression reform, but some change. You don't have to say it's a transformation, but you know, some change in North Korean attitude towards its own domestic politics. As you know, Kim Jong-un regime is taking the, the strategy of uh, parallel pursuit of nuclear development on the one hand and the promotion of people's livelihood on the other, so-called the Pyongjin Jalyak, I think it's difficult to achieve these two goals. It's, it's almost a mission impossible. Um, so we try to persuade the North that the best country, the best partner that North Korea can work with is no other country than just South Korea. We speak the same language, we're the same nation, we live closely across the demilitarized zone, and we want to create a peaceful Korea, non-nuclear, united. Um, so uh, this is the ongoing priority of the South Korean government in dealing with the North. Um, at the same time, we would like to work closely with China cooperate with China, to talk with China, to play a proactive role to persuade North Korea to renounce its nuclear mission and possibly change its behavior. And this requires a cooperative strategic dialogue between Seoul and Beijing. And China still maintains um, its close relationship with North Korea. China is providing food and energy to North Korea. So China has leverage on the country and we want China to play a positive role to persuade North Korea that there's a better future for us than going down the slippery slope of isolation and provocation.
So this is one of the reasons why President Park, Park Geun-hye, visited Beijing early in September to attend the ceremony, the 70-year ceremony, uh, to commemorate the anti-Japanese and anti-fascist war uh, in Beijing. She's, she's the only head of state of the country that has an alliance with the United States attending the Beijing ceremony. So it was not an easy decision for her, I guess. Um, but certainly there's a reason. And I think it's um, North Korea. Uh, China's economic rise and strategic challenge to the existing regional and international order create concerns by the US, Japan, and to a certain extent, Korea. From the Korean perspective, however, a strategic dialogue with China is necessary in order to resolve the North Korean problem while maintaining a robust alliance with the United States. China, under President Xi Jinping, is actively pursuing this grand design policy of Itai Ilu, One Belt, One Road. And certainly China would like to connect this Itai Ilu with the Northeast Asian Peace and Cooperation Initiative, which Park Geun-hye government is now pursuing. The Korean expression, Yeonmi uh, Hwajung, so you may know the meaning, Yeonmi, the ally with the United States, Hwajung, harmonize with China. Uh, is the main task of South Korean diplomacy. But sometimes this is easier said than done. And we have to make a very uh, wise and prudent, flexible uh, decision to deal with this fluctuating U.S.-China relations. U.S.-China relations are the most important factors, variable to take account in South Korea's foreign policy. We are ally. U.S. is the only ally of South Korea. We have the U.S. military presence uh, in the southern half of the Korean peninsula. But at the same time, we live very closely to China. And our economic partnership with China is growing rapidly. It's reaching about $300 billion in terms of trade volumes. And this is greater than our trade with U.S. and Japan combined. You can put Russia as well. It's still, Korea-China trade relationship uh, is growing rapidly. And, of course, the strategic issue of how to deal with the North Korean challenges, how to persuade North Korea to make the right choice, and how to move towards peaceful unification. We think that China can play its role. China should play its role in a positive manner, constructive manner. So constructive relationship between Washington and Beijing, from our viewpoint, will help expand the basis of South Korea's flexible and creative diplomacy towards the US and China. This is a main difference between South Korea and North Korea. From North Korea's viewpoint, a good relationship between US and China would actually reduce the room for maneuver for North Korea. Whereas from our viewpoint, harmonious US-China relations is in our national interest. Because it makes it easier for us to deal with two great nations. South Korea's role, therefore, should be to promote cooperation, understanding between Washington and Beijing in major areas of interest, particularly the North Korean issue. Meanwhile, South Korea should try to improve its frosty relations with Japan. We are the common allies of the United States, and the two Asian neighbors share democracy and market economy. Perhaps we live too close to Japan, but that's our destiny, and we have had a bitter experience of the Pacific War. And we remember the past Japanese militarism. That's the reason for the lingering concern about Japan's return, Japan's revisionism to the past. Is that 
concern still remains in Korean mind, in Korean public. But the prolongation of political tension between Seoul and Tokyo, I think, work against the interest of both sides. It is necessary to coordinate and improve Korea, U.S., Japan trilateral cooperation to effectively deal with North Korea's brinkmanship. Japan's adoption of collective self-defense defense or jiptanjok chaiwikon under the rightist Abe government poses a source of concern for South Korea, as is the case with uh, China. China also has concern because of Japan's past militarism and the experience of the Pacific War, including the issue of the sexual slavery in the name of comfort women. Especially with Japan's recent move to amend constitution under Abe government or to change the interpretation of the constitution to enable Japan to adopt a collective self-defense rights, there has been a controversy within Korea as to whether Japanese force will be able to enter the Korean peninsula, especially northern half of the peninsula, North Korea, with or without the Korean government's agreement. Korean position is that the sovereignty of the Republic of Korea, the South Korea, extends to the entire Korean peninsula and the adjacent islands. Therefore, Japan cannot send its troops to the Korean peninsula without South Korea's consent. And this issue was precipitated by the remarks of the Japanese defense minister in his meeting with the Korean, South Korean counterpart. <clears throat> I have no detailed information about that conversation, but I um, found it uh, on the newspaper. Uh, so I'm just raising this issue now. So there is a sensitivity uh, about Japan's policy. Uh, of trying to change uh, its defense security policy based on the revision of the U.S.-Japan defense guidelines and to adopt uh, collective self-defense. Uh, it also demonstrates the level of underlying distrust vis-a-vis uh, -vis Japan. So these historical conflicts and uncertainties will somehow constrain the Seoul-Tokyo relationship. And China is driving for building a, some kind of a united front with South Korea against Japan's historical revisionism. And this Chinese policy will also continue. The Abe statement, the statement of Prime Minister Abe on August 15th, the day that Korea was liberated and Japan was defeated, 70 years ago was not much satisfactory to the Korean government and the Korean public, but the Korean government certainly showed self-restraint in its reaction to this Abe statement. Personally, I, I sense political prog pragmatism growing on both sides. We haven't been talking seriously with, that, with each other for about two or three years. And also there's a psychological fatigue on both sides. And these are being felt on both sides of Korea and Japan. So Korea and Japan, as two successful democracies and free market economies, should make efforts to overcome these historical and psychological barriers. Hopefully, Japan should acknowledge the past wrongdoing, make a sincere apology, like the post-war Germany, <clears throat> and squarely face the history. And Korea and Japan together come, should come to terms with each other and focus on common goals and co common interests for the future generations. If we do not solve this problem in our generation, then the next, and the next generation should continue to carry the burden uh, of this Korea-Japan uh, relationship. So we should do it in our generation. Um, so I hope that uh, this trilateral summit, which is going to take place in early November, and perhaps 
um, Korea-Japan summit, the bilateral summit, which will take place the day after this trilateral summit, will somehow contribute to the change of mood and the change of at attitude uh, regarding the bilateral relationship. Ironically, North Korea <coughs> and the, the regime's escalating security threats and China's trouble in persuading the North, the Pyongyang regime, to change its aggressive behavior require a closer cooperation, security consultation among Korea, U.S., and Japan. So North Korea is actually making its own problem, which it doesn't like. So uh, we, we think that as long as North Korea continues to make troubles and continues to uh, make provocations, the rationale for U.S.-Korea-Japan cooperation will increase. So with such tangled and constrained relations in Northeast Asia, there are anticipations about the forthcoming Korea-China-Japan Triangular Summit in the 1st of November. Among the three countries, Korea-China-Japan, we have about 26 million people visiting each other. And that's a huge number of people-to-people -people exchange. No matter what the political atmosphere changes, we have the people-to-people -people dynamic interactions already happening in this area. Um, Korea-Japan summit meeting, as I mentioned, which might take place on the 2nd of November, is the first one in three and a half years. We haven't been seriously talking to each other. The last one was one between Im Young-bak and Noda. That was three and a half years ago. So we need to resume the, this dialogue. And if this happens, the triangular framework is rebuilt, then I think we can move towards Korea, China, Japan, FTA, the triangular FTA, which takes account of the one-fifth of the global GDPs, as I mentioned, uh, and the trade volume as well. Uh, we have the Mutual Investment Guarantee Agreement, which was signed by three countries last year. Um, so we have um, a good ground to move towards more closer economic integration. Uh, of course, um, we will have to wait and see what is going to come out of this new trilateral summit diplomacy. But just the fact that leaders of the three Northeast Asian nations are sitting down at the same table again is encouraging in itself. With President Park Geun-hye, Prime Minister Abe, and from Japan, Prime Minister Lee Ko-chang. It's not President Xi Jinping, but Prime Minister Lee Ko-chang. Those three people will get together. Russia, briefly, Park government is initiating the Eurasia Initiative to create a mutually beneficial partnership with Russia and promote energy and transport cooperation involving North Korea. So the idea is to introduce, uh, again, the trilateral cooperation among two Koreas and Russia, build a railroad or, or to construct a port so that there can be more uh, closer Korea-Russia economic uh, partnership. Um, let me move on to the second half of the um, agenda, which is peaceful unification of the Korean Peninsula. As I mentioned, a united non-nuclear Korea based on liberal democracy and free market economy will certainly contribute to the peace and prosperity of the region, including China, Japan, and Russia. And this scenario of soft landing for the Korean unification is an approach taken by the Seoul government. I mean soft landing in a, in a sense that we avoid military confrontation or crisis, but move towards gradual and peaceful integration of two Koreas. First, through cultural and economic uh, interactions, and next, political and military negotiations. But there is also concern about hard landing as well. Um, the less op optimistic view is that 
North Korea will continue to dig its hills and develop nuclear weapons and try to provoke the other countries, including South Korea, Japan, and the United States, and what? And try to compensate for the economic failure with a stronger power, hard power, that North Korea can develop. And if that escalates the tension on the Korean Peninsula, if there is some sort of a military contingency or military clash, then certainly um, South Korea, United States, and other members of the United Nations can overpower North Korea, which will eventually lead to unification. So my theory is that <laughs> you, may not, you may or may not agree with me. Whether it's soft landing or hard landing, Korea will be unified. That's my theory. And I hope that if that happens, then I will choose soft landing, peaceful and gradual unification of Korea without military crisis or warfare. So how do we get there? Now look at the example in August. The tension rose high on the Korean Peninsula in August when North Korea declared a semi-war status, Jun Jeonsisangte, in the aftermath of the explosion of wooden mines to the south of the demilitarized zone, injuring two of our soldiers, they lost their legs, and ensuing rocket attack on the south in peacetime. So we were almost going to the brink of war between two Koreas because of the North Korean ultimatum that if you do not remove these loudspeakers to the south, we will start war. There was five o'clock in the afternoon, but one hour before five o'clock, North Korea said, we should talk. We should talk. There was a dramatic turn of events. And the two Koreas sit down. They agreed to hold the talks at the last minute and defuse the crisis. This incident, in my view, has graphically demonstrated that the current state of affairs on the Korean Peninsula, the current armistice, is fragile and unstable. It has also made it clear that the maintenance of a stronger Korea-US alliance and the combined determination to deter North Korean threats can effectively dissuade North Korea from choosing the dangerous course of action on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, I was recently in a seminar uh, in China, Chengdu in Sichuan province, and I met with the Chinese um, uh, participants who study North Korea. And one of the Chinese participants told me that this is very significant change of attitude by North Korea, that they you know, almost try to go on the brink of war and then just back down. Why? And he said, maybe because it's Korea-U.S. alliance and also because China tried uh, diplomatically to persuade the North that any more troublemaking will work against their own interest. So I think this is a combination of different diplomatic uh, messages, political messages being sent to North Korea. But certainly, he told me, this Chinese expert told me that this is a significant change. This is the first time, perhaps, that North Korea back down on its own because it, it knew that the country cannot deal with the combined determination to deter North Korean aggression. So we have to see what is the next move by North Korea. But for the time being, North Korea seems to cooperate. We had a reunion of separate family uh, members on both sides about a couple of days ago, about 1,000 people uh, had a chance to meet with the separate families. The number is too small, but we need to expand it. They refrained from making any more trouble on the October 10th, the 70th anniversary of the North Korean Labor uh, Workers' Party. They didn't, test the they didn't test the bomb or launch the ICBMs. Although they came out with the uh, new model of ICBM, the bigger one, and um, allegedly what they call the nuclear backpacks. So I don't know what that means, but uh, somehow um, 
<laughs> this kind of scary name, isn't it? Uh, but North Korea didn't do anything, just you know, refrain from doing things. So uh, we hope that this kind of self-restraint by North Korea uh, would continue. There is little doubt that the timely and resolute response to the August crisis by the alliance played a part in North Korea's decision not to engage yet another provocations on the 70th anniversary. Fortunately, Kim Jong-un knew better to avoid another conflict uh, this time around, but that doesn't mean that North Korea has completely changed its strategy. I think they still want to continue it in a different way. Um, and it still remains our challenge to break that vicious cycle of provocation, escalation of tension, and then negotiation and reward. We should get out of this vicious cycle. Uh, the trust-building approach by the Park Geun-hye government uh, is best explained in her Dresden speech. This is a symbolic speech made in the former major city of uh, Dresden in former East Germany in March uh, last year, 2014. And also she had a speech in the UN, UN General Assembly uh, recently. And the gist of the message is this. Now, economic reform and opening of North Korea is important and we can help. South Korea can help in terms of humanitarian assistance, in terms of building infrastructure, and in terms of pursuing integration between people-to-people -people, uh, level. Because we've been divided for seven decades. Although we speak the same language, we think differently. So let's try to close the gap between two Koreas. That was the message. And the reaction by North Korea was, of course, negative. They say, we, we don't want to accept this proposal. We want to reject it because this is con conspiracy to absorb North Korea by the South. Economic humanitarian assistance, economic infrastructure building and the assimilation policy, we reje rejected. That was unfortunate, but if we continue to engage with North Korea in a genuine efforts, then I think that perhaps they will gradually realize that there is no better alternative but to talk with the South. The idea is that improvement of inter-Korean relations will facilitate the emergence of Korean economic community, and that will contribute to the peaceful unification uh, of the Korean uh, peninsula. Can I have five more minutes so that I can finish? Okay. So uh, it is strong expectation that uh, South Korea uh, wishes that Korea-U.S. alliance will play an essential role for the dismantlement of North Korean nuclear program and achievement of peaceful Korean unification. Uh, and it was that vein that this month's summit between President Park Geun-hye and President Barack Obama was welcomed in Washington. In particular, two leaders issued a joint statement, as you know very well, which was the first of its kind to specifically address North Korea's nuclear issue. They agreed to take steps between two countries to address North Korean threats with utmost urgency and determination. This is a quite strong expression in a diplomatic statement. And we must make sure that this common determination uh, and the sense of urgency could be materialized as soon as possible. The continuing concern, however, with regard to the maintenance of Korea-U.S. alliance is the China factor. Some worry that United States feels that Park Geun-hye government is leaning closer towards China. As such, there was much debate in Korea about President Obama's remarks that the Republic of Korea should be able to speak out when China fails to abide by international norms and rules. And I guess President Obama was perhaps referring to the ongoing tension in the South China Sea. As I understand, yesterday or the day before yesterday, uh, American Navy ship entered 
the adjacent area of 12 nautical miles of the artificially made um, islands by China. China was reacting very um, strongly, whereas the Philippines and Vietnam kind of welcomed this movement. So tension is rising, certainly. So what is clear is that a Korea-US alliance should deal with this issue uh, in a very reasonable manner. And this alliance will continue to play a central role in the strategy for peace and stability. The Korean position, the Korean government position is that we need to solve this problem through dialogue and diplomacy, not through military conflict uh, or clash, physical clash among the parties concerned. And the freedom of navigation, freedom of overflight is important. Uh, and the uh, declaration of conduct, DOC, uh, is important. That's the Korean position, I think, basically in line with the United States. But when the situation gets worse, when the tension erupts, and if there's a military conflict in the South China Sea, perhaps South Korea needs to clarify its position more clearly. From our viewpoint, South China Sea is not someone else's problem because our strategic materials coming to Korea come all the way from uh, Middle East and Africa and going through this South China Sea, going up to East China Sea, and going up to Jeju Island, Busan, and Incheon. So what is happening in South China Sea um, is important for Korea. And we very much hope that this could be uh, resolved peacefully without escalating the um, tension. South Korea, of course, need to work with China, as I've mentioned. President Obama himself acknowledged this. He said, strong Korea-China relationship is good because we want to have a strong relationship with China as well. The U.S.-China relationship should be strong. So is the case with uh, Korea. And working with China, however, is not mutually exclusive nor counter to our alliance with the United States. As I mentioned, ally with the United States, harmonize with China. That's the basic uh, approach by, North, uh, by South Korea. And we can and we do need to think about a new trilateral dialogue framework of Korea. That's Korea, United States, and China, which would be an appropriate arena to discuss and explore a solution for North Korean problems. Um, I will mention very briefly about the economic issues because I mentioned the TPP briefly at the beginning. TPP is a game changer. It includes about 40% of the global GDPs out of 12 countries with United States, Japan, Canada, Mexico, Latin America, and Southeast Asian countries like Vietnam, Malaysia, Brunei, Singapore. Um, and then 27% of global trade. So, obviously, we need to think about how Korea can enter into this growing Asia-Pacific um, free trade network. But at the same time, this is my personal view, we cannot think of Asia-Pacific economy without China. Uh, and also, we cannot think of uh, East Asian economy without the United States. So now we have these two kind of competing uh, free trade networks, like Trans-Pacific Partnership on the one hand, led by China, US and Japan. Korea and China are not parties to it. We have the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership among 16 countries with Korea, Japan, China, 10 ASEAN countries, India, Australia, New Zealand. So it's two different competing framework. In my view, eventually they will emerge. They will merge into a big Asia-Pacific free trade area. I don't know when, but you know, as I mentioned, we can, we can think of Asia-Pacific free trade without China. We can think of East Asian economic community without the United States. Um, 
And finally, the impact of the TPP uh, is actually felt uh, in Korea uh, in terms of automobile, auto parts, and the textile industry. Uh, we are concerned that many um, companies will move to Vietnam to operate there based on their sourcing from the member countries of the TPP instead of from South Korea, because South Korea is you know, still not a member yet. We are also concerned that our cars sold in Malaysia uh, or Mexico, the price is higher than Japanese car, or just same as Japanese cars. So we might be driven out of this uh, Southeast Asian market. So those are the pressing needs for South Korean economy to join the growing uh, TPP. <clears throat> but the TPP itself is a kind of high-level multilateral free trade agreement, including intellectual property, labor, environment, investment, and service. Now, we have our uh, FTA with China, Korea-China FTA. It's not a high-level. It's kind of medium-level uh, FTA, but TPP is different. So we should know very well that what kind of price we have to pay to join this TPP in the future. You know, Korea has FTA with US, Europe, and China, as I mentioned. But TPP is another challenge to Korea. We have to restructure our domestic economy. We have to improve our environmental regulations. Uh, we have to change our labor regulations in order to join uh, this TPP uh, in the future. As we know that in the last meeting negotiation, we're focused on automobile, dairy products, and uh, pharmaceuticals. And those are the areas that Korea also has to think about very seriously uh, when we apply for uh, this TPP uh, membership. So that concludes my um, talk. And I'm sure you might have lots of questions. I'll be very uh, happy to uh, answer any questions you might have. Thank you for your patience and attention. Thank you.